We are on Ksubis Samach Zayin, Amad Aleph 67a, as we begin a new Mishnah. It says the Mishnah Hamasi has beat Ustam lo Yifchoslam mechamishim zuz. That the, the assumed amount, we're discussing the concept of a dowry, uh, and the assumed amount, if it's not specified, the assumed amount that a father would give to his daughter when she's entering into the marriage, how much would he provide towards their marriage is 50 zuz. 50 zuz would be the assumed amount. Now, where does 50 zuz come from? Where does this amount come from? So we'll see in the Gemara that the currency of zuz is actually not so simple. There's different types of currency of zuz. We know that when it comes to a ksuba, the giving of a ksuba, uh, after the marriage ends, it is 100 zuz or 200 zuz. It's not clear also in, in when we're describing ksuba what type of currency we're referring to. It's the same word zuz, but... Uh, the two different types of currency, one is eight times the value of the other. So that's a, quite a significant difference. Um, and there are different opinions as to which one that is referring to. Uh, the one that's referring to, as we will see in our Gemara momentarily, in our case, is clear that it's the lower amount, the lower, the lower value of Zuz. But it's 50 Zuz. What exactly, how, how can we uh, wrap our minds around that? Uh, so some of the commentators, in terms of what that value is, some of the tom- commentators point out a different Mishnah in a different Masechta, uh, in Peya, in a different tractate of Peya, which discusses when it is that we give charity and when it is that we do not give charity, what is defined as a poor person, what is not defined as a poor person. And the Mishnah says that uh, if they own less than 200 Zuz, so then they are viewed as poor. If they own less than 200 Zuz, they're viewed as poor. But even if they have 50 Zuz, if they have 50 Zuz that they're investing and therefore it could go up in value, so then that's also, they're no longer viewed as poor as long as they have 50 Zuz that they could invest. And when it comes to the dowry, when it's the cash that is given to the couple, so the purpose of that is to invest it. And so therefore, the amount that's given is the minimal amount for this couple to not be viewed as poor. So therefore, the point is that when the father, if he doesn't specify an amount, the assumed amount is the minimal amount that's viewed for them not to be poor, uh, i.e. the 50 zuz, which they can then in, uh, invest. Okay, that's the opening line of the Mishnah. Continues the Mishnah. If the father refuses to give anything to his daughter into the marriage, for whatever reason, and therefore not even clothing, absolutely nothing, lo yomar habal the husband should not say that once she comes into my house, then I will provide her with clothes, clothing, but not beforehand. Rather, excuse me, he has to provide clothing for her while they are still halakhically engaged, while they're not living in the same house, while she's in her father's house, so that she enters into the marriage with clothing, so that she has her own clothes when she enters into the marriage. Okay, that is point number two. Point number one is that the assumed amount is 50 zuz, Point number two is that the husband has to provide clothing in a situation where the father will not provide it. And finally, the last point, If we are dealing with an orphan, uh, an orphan girl, so therefore the Gabay Tztaka, the one who is in charge of the Tztaka, of the, let's say, the discretionary fund, so... He should also give her 50 zuz, the same amount that we mentioned before, 50 zuz he has to give to her to, uh, to start off their marriage. If 
they have more funds available for her, so then they should give based on her dignity, based on uh, the family that she lived in, you know, the family that she's entering into, based on her dignity. They should give based on her dignity. They could give more than 50 zoz, but that is the minimal, the minimal amount. Okay, that is the opening uh, Mishnah. Again, three points. One is 50 zoz when it comes to um, uh, and the assumed amount that a father would give towards his daughter. The fact that the husband has an obligation to clothe his, his wife before they actually get married, assuming that the father of the bride refuses to provide anything. And then uh, case number three is dealing with an orphan girl uh, and how much the, uh, the discretionary fund, how much the charity provides for her. Okay, says the Gemara, Amar We are discussing here when we talk about 50 Zuz, we're dealing with there's different types of currency that are referred to as zuz. It's referring to the one which is the lower amount. It's one-eighth the amount of the standard zuz. How do we know this? Since in the end it says that if there's more, the end of the mission says if there's more, uh, then we could provide her based on her honor and her dignity. And what is this fund? It's it's the charity fund. And if we're talking, when we say 50 zuz, means the standard zuz. If 50 zuz is actually referring to the standard zuz, eight times the amount of the lower zuz, so then what does it mean that we're giving her even more from the charity fund? That's already a significant amount. So it must be that the 50 zuz that we're referring to here is the lower currency. It's the lower amount. So that if there's more in the charity fund, so then we could give more than that 50 zuz. But we are not dealing with the 50 zuz, the standard 50 zuz, which would be already a significant amount. Okay. The Gemara uh, will now go through a few uh, tangents. Some very, very interesting cases and points uh, as we discuss more about uh, dividing up charity and dividing up the, the public funds and how we should divide it up and who we should give it to... To whom we should give it to, uh, and different things like that. Says the Gemara, Tanarabban and Yasum Yisoma Shabali Sparnis Mefarnasin Esayisoma Vachah Mefarnasin Esayasum. If Nesha Ish Darka Lachsor Alapsachim Vein Isha Darka Lachsor. Case number one is that we have two orphans. One is a boy and one is a girl. To whom should we feed first? Assuming that we're discussing food. There's a discussion amongst the commentators whether we're discussing food or whether we're discussing. Uh, clothing. When it comes to clothing, for sure, this is found in other places as well. We would clothe her first, the orphan girl, before him. If it's uh, if it's an issue about clothing, uh, she would she would be dressed first. It's more of an embarrassment to her if she's not if she's not dressed, and so therefore we would provide clothing for her before we would provide clothing for him. However, what about if we're discussing? And according to many commentators, we are discussing food. So here it says that when it comes to the food, we would also provide it to her first before we provide it to the boy. Why? Because again, it's less embarrassing. For the boy, it's normal for him to, let's say he does not receive the funds from the, um, from, uh, from the uh, public charity, so then he can knock on doors. He can knock on doors and he can receive food that way. And it's not as embarrassing for him because it's normal for him to do. It's not normal for the girl to do, and therefore we would give it to her before we would give it to him. There is a discussion that uh, we find elsewhere, not like that. We find elsewhere that when it comes to uh, providing food, we give it to a 
man first before we give it to a woman. So how do we explain the difference? Uh, so many say, not everybody, but many, many do explain that the difference is, is that it depends. It depends if it's a life-threatening situation. Uh, if it's not a life-threatening situation, we know that both of them would receive food. It's just a question of where do the public funds, uh, where, where, do we, where do we direct them towards? So then we would direct them towards the girl because it's more of an embarrassment for her to knock on doors. Let the boy knock on doors. He'll, he'll have food in the end. It's not life-threatening. He'll have food in the end, so therefore we give it to her. However, if it's really picking and choosing who will live and who will die, so the Gemara says elsewhere that we will give it a uh, terrible situation to be in, but we will give it to the boy rather than the girl because the boy is obligated in more commandments. He's obligated in more commandments, and therefore we would pick him. Just as a side note, Interestingly, that Gemara also says that what happens if there are two people who are taken hostage um, that are in captivity, a boy and a girl, so then we would prioritize the girl over the boy. We would prioritize the girl over the boy uh, because there's more danger and, and violence that could be done towards the girl uh, than for the boy. Um, the Gemara says that as well. Next case, Yasom v'yesoma, moving on to Samach Zayin Amabay, 67b. We have an orphan boy and orphan girl who are coming to get married. They're coming to get married. So where do the funds go? They need money to, to start off their, their marriage. So the funds, again, they, they are given to the orphan girl and we prioritize them to the orphan girl and only if we have anything left over do we then give it to the, to the boy who is orphaned. Why? Because there's greater humiliation for the girl not to get married as opposed to for the boy. And we will prioritize that factor, the factor of busha, of humiliation, to the point where the, uh, the girl we prioritize over the boy. Now, this is particularly interesting because uh, there are many uh, opinions that say that the mitzvah of marriage is really a mitzvah of having children. It's not the mitzvah of marriage per se, but it's specifically to have children. And the mitzvah to have children is specifically for a boy and not for a girl. The, the, the actual mitzvah is for a boy. And it seems that we prioritize um, preventing embarrassment over the actual mitzvah of having children. And so we'll prioritize her, the girl, to get married, even though the boy is the one who's obligated in the mitzvah of having children. But we'll prioritize the girl because it causes greater embarrassment. So that's a very interesting point right there. Next case, Tanarabanan. Next Brisa. Yasom Shabalisa. When an orphan is coming to get married, what do we have to provide for him? What do we have to provide for him when he enters into the marriage? Three things. Sochen lo bayis. We first have to make sure that there's a house that he has to rent from. Umatzin lo tashmisha. We have to arrange a bed and all the utensils that he needs. All the utensils that he needs, everything that he needs for a functional home. lo isha. And then afterwards, should he get married? Uh, because of the verse. The verse in the context of charity says, that uh, whatever he's missing, uh, we should provide for him whatever he's missing. The first phrase that uh, sufficient for whatever, he, whatever is deficient, this is referring to the house. That which is deficient is referring to the meat of a shulchan. It's referring to the bed and the table, that which you need in the home. Lo, zuisha. To him is referring to the wife. That I will make for him a wife. So he has to have everything set beforehand before he, before he uh, actually gets married. So he has to have a house. He has to have 
everything that he needs within the house, and then he could get then he could get married. It is interesting that the Gemara elsewhere in Mesechas Brachos and Tractate Brachos says that uh, there are three things that uh, allow a person to become and to have uh, to to be marchiv daito to have an expansive uh, awareness or, or or to be clear in his mind, and that is to have a nice uh, nice place to live and nice utensils, perhaps for work, whether it's in the home or for work, and also to be married, to, to be in a marriage. Um, so that's, uh, that's an interesting Gemara that connects to our Gemara as well. Continuing on for a little bit, for a little bit of the Gemara, the Gemara continues, Tana Rabbanon, De Mechzero, very important halacha here in charity, De Mechzero, we have to provide for him um, to, to provide whatever he's missing. There's an obligation for us to provide uh, to provide sustenance for him. However, the commandment is not to make him wealthy. The obligation is to make sure that he has what he's lacking, that we give him what he's lacking, but not to make him wealthy. We don't have to go above and beyond. However, the the Brisa continues, that which is he is missing. Even it's whatever he's lacking, meaning, let's say he was wealthy and he lost all of his money. We have to provide for him for whatever status he was in prior. And so therefore, if he's used to having a horse to ride on, some, a fancy horse to ride on, um, a Tesla, a Lexus, if this is something that he's used to, so then we have to provide for him to make sure that he doesn't have the embarrassment of lowering his standards. Or if he's used to, the Gemara says, having an Eved, having a slave, a servant run in front of him whenever he would walk somewhere. He would have his entourage of a uh, of a servant walking in front of him to give him honor. So then we have to maintain those standards. Very interesting. We have to maintain those standards because if we lower the standards, regardless of whether you're wealthy or middle class or poor, or not not poor to the point where you need charity, but if you're one of those three, we have to maintain those standards. That's what the law is when it comes to tzedakah. Uh, just to discuss this for a few for a few moments, uh, there is a big discussion in order to provide them so that they reach their standard. Uh, is this an obligation on every individual? Do I have that obligation to provide for somebody else so that they still uh, maintain their their uh, upper class status, uh, or is that an obligation on the tzibur, on the community as a whole? It's not coming out of my individual funds, but it will come out of the public funds. Is that an obligation on the individual or on the public? That is a big discussion. Many say that it's on the public. Um, and uh, specifically with regards to this form of charity. There's also a very interesting opinion that says that the reason for this is because the embarrassment is not about his, his lowering his standards, but the embarrassment is about the fact that people will find out that he lost his money. We want to make sure that people do not find out that he lost his money, and so therefore we will maintain his standards. We'll maintain his standards so that people don't find out. However, if it comes out people find out that he lost his money. So then, according to this opinion, there is no longer an obligation to make sure that uh, he maintains his standards. He doesn't have to do this for the rest of his life. It's just there to make sure that other people don't find out about it. But once other people find out about it, so then we no longer have to provide this person with those standards. We, we do not necessarily follow this position, but it's an important position to know about. Uh, that it's not for the rest of the person's life necessarily. It's just uh, until the point where people find out about it. Okay, says the Gemara, a few more lines. Amr Lavel Hillel Zakan, they said about Hillel, 
the great saint Hillel Shalakach Laani Bentuvim Echatzus Lurkovalov Vevelar Slafanov. There was a poor person who came from a distinguished family. And uh, once he became poor, so Hillel made sure that he would have a horse and that he would have a servant, uh, as we mentioned before. And one time, we have the following story, Pam Achas Lomatza Eved Laurit Slafanov. One time, he couldn't find his servant to walk in front of this poor person. And Hillel himself, Verot Slafanov Shlosha Milam, Hillel himself ran in front of him for three mil to fulfill this uh, obligation, uh, this uh, charity obligation to make sure that this poor person is living by his uh, previous status, and Hillel would do this. Now, the commentators ask a very important question. We know that uh, a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, could forgo his honor, but he cannot forgo his disgrace. He's not allowed to have to disgrace himself, to have other people disgrace him. That's not allowed, and that's essentially what Hillel is doing here. He's acting as the servant, walking in front of the poor uh, the poor person, how is he allowed to do this? So there are various answers that are given. One answer that's given is that it was in a, it was in a place where people didn't know who he was. They didn't, they didn't recognize Hillel, and so that's why he was allowed to do this. Others say that this story happened before Hillel became the great Hillel. Uh, this is when he was younger, and he was not yet the great Hillel. But yes, if he became the great Hillel, so then he would not be allowed uh, to do this. Okay, that concludes our discussion about uh, the beginning of the new Mishnah and some of the aspects of tzedakah. We'll continue in the next class with some other fascinating discussions and interesting stories.